Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, September 20th, 2023, and today we're going to be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last week to 10 days. Thanks so much for being a part of the journey each week here on the Midweek Roundup. As we do each week, we take our themes, our questions that we go in depth here on the Wednesday afternoon uh, edition uh, from our newsletter that comes out on Monday mornings. And for those that aren't already subscribed, there's two easy ways that you can do that. I'm going to be dropping a link to our website at smieconsulting.org slash subscribe. That will have a link that you can go to on that page to enter your details so that we can get you that email in your inbox Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, the, uh, also drop in this week's edition of that email newsletter into the chat so you have that for your reference. And for those of you who don't uh, get enough emails in your inbox and you just prefer to maybe get it via something you're already on all the time like LinkedIn, I'm dropping the link to this week's edition uh, of the SM, SMIE newsletter into the chat as well. That's uh, all the SMIE news fit to share. For those of you who aren't familiar with the company name, SMIE, Social Media and International Education Consulting. So it's a company I started when I left Education USA in 2014 and have had that uh, going now for nine years. And uh, I've been fortunate enough that even with my current position at uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, as Director of Global Recruitment and Partnerships, I have the opportunity to continue this uh, roundup as well as the newsletter. So to keep as my service to our field of international education, which I've dedicated my entire 30 plus year career to. So for me, uh, this is a labor of love and I'm thankful that so many of you who have been part of the journey over the years have come uh, and been a part of uh, the Roundup discussions, who've met with me at conferences and say, hey, thanks for the newsletter. Uh, really helps me stay up to date about what's going on in the field because I don't have time to really met, uh, to do it all myself. So really, I appreciate those of you who've uh, taken the time to thank me uh, and uh, for, for the newsletter, for the Roundup, uh, just providing that extra bit of insight, perhaps uh, every once in a blue moon, it does happen, but hopefully providing some help to those of you in the field who just need other opinions on what's going on. Uh, not always the, the most controversial takes on things from my end, but certainly from uh, my years of experience in the field, ones that I hope are well informed and have a good perspective on what's going on in the world. So let's get first right into our question of the day. First up is why does personalization matter in international student recruitment? And for those of you who've known me for, for more than a minute, uh, you know that one of the things that I really uh, have developed recently during the pandemic, uh, we, we all had a bit more free time than we might have ordinarily liked, uh, not being able to travel as we might normally do in the given, given recruitment cycle. So what I've done uh, during that pandemic is I created uh, uh, in my consulting business something called the six P's of strategic international enrollment management. And these six P's were my philosophy uh, on how I set up international uh, student recruitment and enrollment management perspectives on international students and how this management and recruitment piece, these are intertwined with the full success of an international student's journey to the United States and ultimately to becoming successful graduates and alumni of our institutions. So it's that 
full life cycle approach to international student recruitment that is really a piece of why I think if we take, take each of these six P's and as an individual approach towards, uh, towards uh, international education matters and how we shape our strategies and how we develop our plans and how we see the bigger picture and how we develop our, our strategies at our institutions by selecting right partners and platforms and involve, having significant planning that's data informed and perspectives that are both global and local in how you do what you do. You can get to the point where when you have those all, those first four P's already uh, in line and everybody singing from the same song sheet, so to speak, the last two, personalization and peers, and we'll get to the personalization one, obviously, uh, related to this question, but with those last two, personalization and peers, sh can and should be the hardest piece to, to do. Because in reality, uh, the challenges we face with uh, international student recruitment really can come down to you can have a fantastic plan that has all the right elements in it uh, in terms of where you're going to target your marketing, where you're going to target your recruitment efforts, where you're going to travel to, uh, which agents you might work with in country, what platforms you might have a presence on. All of these things are uh, essentials to successful strategies, obviously. But the last two, personalization and peers, are ones that require not necessarily the most effort, but certainly the most attention to detail as you put together a strategy. Because personalization by its nature means it's you're making sure that each applicant is treated as an individual, as much as humanly is possible, and technology helps us do this to scale. And we'll, uh, the article that I've posted the link to from Inside Higher Ed this past week certainly talks about this, this, this piece of personalization. And I've, I've, I've dropped the link in the chat because I think it's, uh, it makes some very uh, important points about what matters most in higher education marketing. And this perspective is, is broadly in higher ed marketing, not just in international ed. I'm personalizing it for you today in how I approach this topic. But it's from uh, Gil Rogers, an uh, old colleague of mine. Uh, we both worked at College Week Live at separate times together. Uh, separate times, uh, he's been in the industry for a number of years, uh, mostly on the domestic side, but certainly uh, has made technology and personalization part of his mission in terms of how, uh, as he says in the article, he uses personalization efficiently and authentically to reach students. So it talks about uh, the is the, the what is the number one trick <laughs> uh, to uh, get the attention of uh, of students in in marketing, and what we look at when we, we go through these these different uh, different P's that we talk about with the six P's, but specifically about personalization. Everybody's got their own angle on it, what that really means, and how how uh, as he says, uh, today's students can tell when we're just sending them a dear first name email and not really caring about their needs. This is from from uh, Gil's article here. So when does it what does it really mean to make personalization impactful? And I think that's, uh, Gil mentions three approaches uh, that uh, make sense for him to uh, get the kind of resonance and engagement that you're really looking for uh, from the students that you're targeting with a personalized approach. Uh, first, he makes clear that understanding impactful pers personalization is key to making it, making it really 
having having results that matter uh, for your institution in terms of your communication strategy with your prospective audiences. So what it means is what does that mean is understanding that what we're doing is not all, is taking care of uh, current and future students in the process and how we communicate and that we remember that the student experience comes first uh, that uh, we mean we need to, as as Gil says quite eloquently impactful personalization means turning that jumble of information into a smooth journey for each student it's about talking to them like they matter addressing their real concerns and making a true connection with them especially when they're overwhelmed and I think this is something that I, 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 we can all relate to in the admissions process for, for students and particularly for international students. There's so much information that they're trying to process, so much that is often over-explained over and can get confusing and really requires us to kind of strip down our messages if we're going to reach them effectively and to answer their questions, address their real concerns, as Gil was saying. Second, he says, is embracing tech-powered, scalable personalization. And what does that look like? So it's, uh, this is something that we, we know we have in the past. It was stealth applications in the early 2000s that was uh, plaguing a lot of institutions and figuring out, oh, all these students are just, first point of contact with them we have is just applying. So most of what institutions have in terms of comm flows before a student applies don't even get to that student so what do we what are we missing how can we get in front of those students and still get the messaging they need to them even after they apply so it's adapting how we communicate with these students and making sure that we're <laughs> the messages we send make sense and that the, these, these are opportunities to begin conversations and to really invite that uh, and as much as we, we, as we can. So that, uh, as one of, the, one of the comments here is, um, uh, think of websites as friendly chats rather than boring deliveries. So uh, there's data from a company called Halda indicates that about 87% of first-time visitors to college websites never come back. And that's scary, isn't it? And that means only 13% actually come back after visiting your site. And that means we need to change how we approach them. And changing your website into an opportunity to communicate with them, to engage with them once they're on there, that, uh, that you can have the kinds of chats that answer their questions at that moment and bring them back to your institution and uh, your institution's page again and again as they dip, go through their journey towards making a decision about whether to attend your institution. So this is something that I think we really need to spend some time thinking through about how do we use technology to really scale it up. Is it chatbots that are have a set of pre-programmed answers to questions? Yeah, maybe. That, that, that seems like early teens in terms of our uh, responsiveness for institutions to be able to do at least that. Or should we use AI tools to make uh, chats more personal and maybe more impactful and that have a greater range of uh, answers that students can get from that actually makes sense for what they're looking for. And the third piece that uh, Gil mentions is seizing the opportunity. And it, wor it means it's, it works, he says, because it's helpful and thoughtful. Uh, that means he's talking about impactful personalization. That now's the time to really make that an investment in how you communicate 
with your prospective student audiences in a much more personal way. So it's talking about making a real connection uh, that there are, uh, AI is one of those things that uh, there are now tools. In fact, one vendor I, ch I chatted with this past week uh, in Brazil while I was there for a fair on uh, just this past Sunday. Uh, he's developed a tool at FBP, Edu, FBP, used to be FBP Edu Media, but they thankfully shortened their name. FBP, uh, the, the founder uh, and CEO, Giulio Ronchetti, uh, he is developing an AI tool uh, that uh, basically reads your entire website content that's relevant for your audience, uh, in this case, international students, and, program, and it's programmed to, to answer questions that students put in in, uh, in real-time chat to uh, that, and give them answers that can really help them along their way to becoming successful students at your campus and enroll. And that's something that we all, all want from uh, the time and effort we put into our recruitment efforts. So it's, it's right around the corner, this, um, this model that uh, FPP is, is launching. They've done a trial with ASU and they have a, a demo account that you can look at and see how it works for ASU. Um, there's still bugs with any new system, but it's something that is right there. It's going to be allow you that scalability piece that uh, Gil mentioned, As and I agree, that's the real challenge, but how do you do that effectively? If you can, particularly if you can do it in real time, that's where we have the opportunity uh, to really um, make some lines, leaps forward in terms of how we can make personalization an absolutely essential element of how we reach out to prospective students in the, in the recruitment process. So that's a bit about personalization, why that matters in international student recruitment. So second topic on the list today is how do you meet students on social in different Asian nations? And I'm not talking about dating here, we're talking about how do we reach students where they are. And that's a big, big challenge in a wide world where uh, social media is a very has become very diffused, and in terms of, uh, it's not just the major platforms anymore, Facebook and YouTube and uh, Twitter and such or X uh, that attracts the interest. It's through it, through the second and third levels down of the smaller, not smaller size wise, but smaller in terms of more personalized uh, approaches through in, through messaging pro apps like WhatsApp, like um, in China WeChat. Uh, like uh, Kao Kao uh, Talk in Korea, like Line in Vietnam and Thailand. Uh, all of these are ones that we, we need to be aware of. But the challenge is most of us are small offices that don't have bandwidth to be running around on, 20, on 15 or 20 different uh, social media platforms getting messaging out to prospective students. It's just physically not possible. Even the largest social media teams at the biggest institutions in the world would have, have challenges managing content specific to students across a range of countries uh, where there are going to be significant differences in platforms in terms of where students spend their time. And for those of, of my colleagues uh, who've, who knew me back in the day when we were at Education USA and uh, was helping advisors in terms of Education USA advisors around the world kind of reach students where they are in their countries to get them aware of their services and better connect with them and recruit them. And as they were doing more virtual uh, advising, this became even more important. These are the pieces of the puzzle that really make a difference that when you physically live where your audiences live. And physically, maybe you can't, the advisors at least in the same country. But for us on the, on the recruitment side, 
for what it means to live where your audiences live, it means having a presence on the, in the spaces that they spend their time on. Now we all know that students are spending their time on their mobile phones. 95% of their waking hour, their mobile phones are right at their, at their hip, in their hands, on the table, within the eyesight of them. That this is, this is their lifeline to the world. And this is how they communicate. They communicate via mobile devices in 90% of the, their work, unless they're doing papers or research and obviously have to sit down, can't do a, write a term paper on, a, on an iPhone. But uh, this is something that uh, these mobile devices, when they communicate with their colleagues, uh, their classmates, with their friends, they're on messaging apps now more than they are on the bigger platforms. They'll spend time on Insta Instagram, they'll spend time on Facebook, they'll spend time on TikTok and WeChat on, uh, and Doyan in, in Dubai in, um, in China and the various platforms that they have there. Yes, they're going to be spending those times in communication with their friends, with their colleagues. So for us, um, and Teresa, thank you for joining the chat again on LinkedIn, uh, talking about the value uh, of the, the African countries. Students are, uh, are encouraged in Africa to explore study abroad. They're looking for ways to improve their, their lives and their families' lives, and they're looking abroad for education in a lot of cases. And uh, the challenge, as you rightly point out, is money. Uh, and that's something, uh, but when we get to these, these issues on how we're connecting with these students on social even in Africa they're all, they're all on social media too they're on Instagram they're on on the different messaging apps and WhatsApp and all of these things uh, so we we need to have a presence on those platforms so that we can communicate effectively with them now how do you manage that well in the case of Asian Asian platforms and we're talking mostly in about South and East Asian uh, nations here that are send 70% of, of the international students that we see in the United States every year are from South and East Asia. So uh, a company that I've known for several years, Sanorbis, based in Australia, uh, they initially started out as a, a tech, tech platform to help uh, Australian universities reach Chinese students in the, in the teens. And they've uh, expanded their, their footprint to include uh, UK, uh, Canadian, U.S. Uh, institutions as well to help them better reach the China market uh, through um, a platform that allows them to have locally hosted sites in China, verified accounts on WeChat, and allow uh, a seamless platform that allows that communication to happen for changes to website and communication on WeChat and other platforms uh, directly through their dashboard. And this is something that I think is, for the China market, has been a, has been a valuable tool, as particularly as we've seen it evolve uh, in the last eight, nine years, uh, where we saw a peak in the United States and we've seen drop-offs. Uh, certainly, Australia has seen a peak and some drop-offs as well and from China. Um, UK has seen some increases. Uh, whether that continues long-term is to be seen. But we see a lot happening. In, uh, in the African market, excuse me, in the Asian markets regarding uh, interest in U.S., uh, interest in other major Western destinations. Uh, and part of our challenge is really identifying uh, for, for these students and being able to reach these students where they spend their time. And Sonobras over the last few years has done quite a bit of research, particularly on the, app, on the social platforms that the college-age student groups that all of us want to target are spending their time. And they have this information all broken out. And they allow, through this new platform that they've launched uh, to current clients, uh, that is a kind of a pan-Asia 
messaging platform a management system that allows uh, the messages that you want to send out on WhatsApp to Indian students or students in other, country, in other countries that are heavy WhatsApp users can be similar to what you send to uh, Vietnamese students on, another, on, on the platforms that they're using. So it really does make um, uh, managing the different accounts uh, that you need to have a presence on um, a much simpler one. And being able to do it from one major platform where you can have a similar message going out to students across the different platforms that they're on. And this is something that I think is, is the wave of the future. This is what is, should be happening now. Uh, and it's really, it'll take some adjustments, obviously, on the institutional side in terms of tracking that information. How do you incorporate that into your CRMs? And are you going to be capturing um, the, uh, the account information or the uh, ID numbers for, or D IDs for these students and, and getting waivers so that, that you can communicate with them effectively? All of these things are, are important as we move forward in our in our promotion of our institutions through these digital tools. We have to be aware of the different issues that affect us and our ability to communicate directly with students in for, through, across a variety of means. So with the Synorbis platform, uh, they now, uh, they, I don't, they don't really have a, the Synorbis experience platform is the actual name of it. So, and the goal is to, as they say in the article, and Pi News article I've dropped the link to in the chat, it will aim to allow institutions to easily diversify their student marketing portfolios, showcasing themselves not just in China, Synorbis's main base, but also across Asia. So go beyond just translating content, it's actually to adapt the content uh, to the markets that you're trying to reach specifically. So uh, they are working with uh, more than 130 institutions now from all, of, all, all around the world. And the key message that everybody is telling them is diversification is the key. So China is the largest market for many countries, but they still need to be able to reach other markets as well. So this has been an 18-month process in a research period that they've undergone uh, to get the relevant content on what, what the platforms are. and that. What platforms are using now changes, so they've they've had to ad adopt a very flexible approach towards figuring out which uh, which platforms they they're going to highlight or allow access to through this platform. We're talking about Line in Japan and Vietnam and Thailand. Uh, we're talking about Zalo in Vietnam, uh, Kao Kao Talk in South Korea and Taiwan uh, are also going to be integrated. So uh, this is something that I think is going to be particularly useful to. Uh, the, be able to create digital assets that, uh, and also and not just the messaging that gets sent out, that you can create landing pages, websites, posts, on, or segments within the channel, as I say in the article, for any targeted language needed across Asia, which can be done through leveraging AI. So some really uh, game-changing kind of approaches towards messaging to international students that our friends at Sonorbis are taking on. And uh, that is something that I think when it comes to reaching this key region of the world, uh, we all can do a better job. There's no, no, no one of us can as ultimate knowledge on, on all these markets all at once, but uh, one person at least. But a company like Synorbis, this is their bread and butter in terms of knowing the markets that they're, that they're investing in and understanding what messaging platforms are best to reach students in each market. So kudos to uh, Nicholas Chu and uh, uh, Nico and the team um, at Synorbis. I know uh, I've been in chat, chat and conversations with uh, Desmond and others there for, for many months and uh, hopefully we'll be able to take that leap forward 
soon with UNLV. Um, uh, hopefully to get approval in the next few weeks. We'll see how it goes. But uh, in terms of uh, what we need to be doing, uh, the tools we need to have to better reach our future students, this is, this is going to be one of those that uh, uh, we have to be on. Uh, of course, there's going to be expectations on us if we go down this road that in terms of having the content to be able to deliver to these students, to have the messaging that we can repurpose from our traditional socials to these uh, new platforms. All that's a lot of legwork that will need to happen. We're not going to be the first ones in on this because uh, uh, they're working with our current clients first. We're not a current client yet, but hopefully we will be soon. But this is something that uh, will take some time to, uh, to introduce and to fully integrate into our existing uh, messaging and helps us achieve the kind of personalization we're talking about in that first question. So I think for now um, it's it's something that all of us should be working towards uh, in terms of our development of our messaging and personalization strategies towards students and this is a giant leap forward for a lot of institutions if uh, that can and do choose to go down this road. So what um, what uh, we'll leave it there for this question today. I know we'll come back to this topic uh, again, social media is one of my favorite topics to talk about and any tools that allow us to better use social media target, in a targeted way to students in specific countries is a, a huge step forward for us. And to do that for multiple countries with similar messaging just adjusted per market, I think there's a lot of value there that uh, we're, we're going to get to see the results of hopefully in the years to come. So that's our second question. The third one. And final question of the day, this is inspired uh, by some conversations I've been having uh, with colleagues uh, north of the border in recent weeks. Uh, had a great opportunity to, to speak with um, uh, someone I just met at uh, an ISEF Latin America event, uh, Deja Drummond. Thank you, Deja, for uh, spending the time to chat with me uh, about Canada and the various multi-layered issues going on there with the, we've talked in recent weeks about uh, the potential uh, trusted institutions list that the government will come up with, uh, the potential capping of international student numbers in Canada, and the huge international student housing crisis that is impacting uh, most areas of, of Canada, particularly larger urban areas, and even smaller, uh, smaller regions in, in the Atlantic provinces. Uh, Cape Breton University had issues with this, uh, others in in uh, the Atlantic provinces have had challenges with housing and that's impacting uh, obviously the quality of services that these students are receiving and it's something that I think uh, can only is only going to get worse before it gets better unless the government takes action and it certainly sounds like uh, they are at that point uh, that uh, they realize that something needs to be done and there's uh, a few articles I'll, I'll drop into the chat for you today that will go over this. Um, first up, we, we know, all know the story in uh, the uh, about Ontario uh, college sector. Now, uh, for those U.S. colleagues who aren't as familiar with uh, with Canada, uh, there are at the for higher education there are generally two different options. There are colleges which tend to be more vocational in nature that are quicker pathways to work after um, after they're done with their degrees and you often have seen uh, the biggest uh, challenges that have arisen over the over recent years have been related to uh, to uh, 
to the college level uh, institutions, particularly in Ontario and also in Quebec, private institutions that have run afoul of the law, uh, that have worked with, um, with agents that aren't trustworthy, that had uh, groups of agents, uh, groups of agents send students to to their schools that had fraudulent documents. Variety of different challenges that the college sector really has faced, particularly on the public and private. So there's it's a public-private partnerships in uh, Canadian higher ed that refer to the pro uh, public colleges and the private colleges, for-profit colleges that exist in Canada and the relationships between them. Uh, there's a first article l listed here has to do with the. Uh, the $2 billion in revenue that uh, Indian students are expected to pay into the Ontario college system in this coming ac academic year, according to uh, uh, that for the first time, those contributions from international students are going to be more than what the provincial government gives uh, to, uh, to, student, to, uh, to the institutions, the, particularly the, the public institutions. So the challenges really uh, are for the international or for the international offices at colleges and universities. Primarily, this challenge uh, that impacts the numbers on uh, the housing and the fraudulent documents and all of the the groups of students that uh, we had. Uh, with the case with Northern College in Ontario that uh, contracted with a private college uh, that was where the students would actually go to take uh, their classes, which was little more than the storefront or an empty warehouse. Uh, and not really an actual campus or anywhere, uh, that they over-enrolled 500 students or over-admitted 500 students and obviously had to rescind those offers because they didn't have the spaces for them. A lot of, a lot of murky waters here. So the question that I posed is, is Canada at a tipping point here? Have they reached their tipping point? Uh, there's articles about, has, is Canada at, the, at a crossroads? Uh, for um, in, for higher education uh, in terms of the challenges that they're facing that we've all gone through here. So uh, we see in Nova Scotia, Ontario, British Columbia uh, port or that are profiled in uh, the University Affairs uh, site in Canada uh, that uh, talks about the, the steady increase in tuition. We saw that uh, in Nova Scotia. Uh, we've seen that in Ontario and British Columbia that that's happening. Uh, the post-pandemic demand for labor is siphoning off university applicants, so that's one of the challenges that they're facing now. Um, but uh, you, we've seen uh, Canadian universities uh, rightly uh, get out in front of of this problem and say, "Hey, don't cap our numbers. It's not us is that that is the problem. You're actually going to do more damage, harm than good if you cap numbers." So there's a lot of lot of debate happening here uh, that uh, we um, we really don't have any clear answers with, other than the government's going to be taking action soon, and it looks more in the likelihood that they're going to cap numbers, and. We, we saw numbers last a couple of weeks ago. We put, there was an article that said one in 48 Canadians uh, is an international student right now, uh, or one in, one in 48 people in Canada is an international student, not one in four, one in 48 Canadians is a, uh, that would be wrong. Uh, one in four, one in four people, one in 48 people in Canada were international students. But now we have a, a, we saw numbers this past week. Also, we profiled this in uh, in our newsletter in Australia where one in 10 people in Australia are either a current international student or on a, gra on a graduate visa, post-study work visa there. So there, the, these, are, these are the, some of the challenges, and we've talked about this 
Uh, and we've talked about this in light of uh, just the larger picture and global perspective you need to have on international education. Of all the markets that are out there as destinations for international students, U.S. is still number one and only barely compared to what's happening in Canada and Australia recently. Again, our vocational sector isn't nearly as developed as Canada's or Australia's are in terms of uh, the uh, amount of international students that make up uh, the numbers in, in, um, in those countries. Uh, for example, um, Deja shared with me uh, at ISAF that she thought that uh, colleges versus universities in in Canada, that the numbers were about half and half. I don't know the exact. I've never I've never seen exact numbers, but she believed it to be about half and half. Half of the 900,000 international students in Canada currently are at the college level, and the other half are at the university level. Talking to colleagues like Alex Usher at Higher Ed Strategy Associates, uh, I've served with Alex on um, on, on a board before a good friend who really knows obviously what's happening in the wider world and uh, in Canada but also globally as well he, he does uh, does work across the across the globe in international education helping institutions and governments figure out how to devise policy that supports international or supports education but he's he's uh, when the story a couple of years a couple three years ago came out that there were 600,000 uh, international students in Canada he goes ah they aren't all they're not all university students and uh, he's right uh, the, the majority were uh, not not the majority maybe uh, half or a little less than half at the time were on in the college sector in the public or private college sector uh, he's based in Toronto so he's Toronto I should say not Toronto Toronto as he would say uh, that they uh, that the community the college structure the vocational college structure public and private has just exploded there in the last 10 years and now we're seeing the impacts on Canada in terms of the housing issues, in terms of the visa issues, in terms of um, the, the, the students that are coming and getting, uh, getting into trouble because they, they came on docu fraudulent documents because their agents worked, that they worked with were selling them a false bill of goods. A lot of challenges to really that they're, that they're facing in Canada. So have they reached its tipping point? I think so. Uh, they're probably on the back side of this now and, and trying to plot a new future. So we'll see what, what happens in the days and weeks to come. So that's all we have for you this week on the Midweek Roundup. I want to thank all of you for, for joining us as you do each week. Obviously, not I know uh, not everybody can get up and watch this uh, live on a, on a Wednesday afternoon or, or Wednesday morning, depending on where you are, or Wednesday evening if you're overseas. Uh, but thank you for making the Roundup a part of your international edification this week and hope to be connecting with you again in the weeks to come. So thanks again and have a great day. Cheers.